For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Drama in the deer stand. Two Michigan brothers had to lean on the assistance of a Nuego County conservation officer. Nuego County is located kind of on the first knuckle of your ring finger if you adhere to the Mitten State reference of Michigan, uh, just north of Grand Rapids if you don't. According to Michigan Live, conservation officer Mike Wells started to investigate the family dispute after he received a hunter harassment complaint. Hunter harassment is described by the state of Michigan as Michigan law prohibits individuals from obstructing or interfering with the lawful taking of animals. The Department of Natural Resources supports hunting as a legitimate form of recreation and as a useful tool in the management of the wildlife resource. Michigan conservation officers are committed to protecting hunters from the intentional disruption of the hunting experience. Hunter harassment is a misdemeanor offense in Michigan. When Conservation Officer Wells spoke with the accusing brother prior to Michigan's deer opener, Officer Wells was given evidence of the other brother, the accused, trying to, well, I'll use the legalese provided by the state of Michigan. He was attempting to obstruct or interfere with the lawful taking of wildlife by using a backpack sprayer, like you see people use for weeds, to spray what was later determined to be a product called liquid fence, deer and rabbit repellent. You know... Liquid Fence, the brand with such slogans as hit them in the nose and they won't come back. Uh, Invisible Barrier, clear results. And my personal favorite, give no admittance, no matter how cute. Slogan like that could get you a government contract down south. Anyway, the accusing brother identified the backpack sprayer as his brother and identified the location of the stand on U.S. Forest Service ground next to the family deer camp. The accused brother was interviewed by Conservation Officer Wells as he was attempting to illegally hunt over bait on the morning of Michigan's firearms opener. 
Probably not a good start. The accused brother admitted that he had sprayed his brother's blinds, but only because his brother was, quote, intentionally cutting off the deer by hunting the public land next to camp. He also admitted that he let his emotions get the best of him and apologized. Not entirely clear if he apologized to the brother or the conservation officer. Either way, a warrant request has been submitted for both hunter harassment and baiting deer when prohibited. Hopefully that's the last uncomfortable family situation conservation officer Wells has to deal with anytime soon. Probably not the last for the brothers and their deer camp as we're coming into Christmas. <laughs> this week, we've got a bunch more on Michigan, the current status of Campbell Lake, and maybe why you shouldn't chew gum. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. I actually helped out a first-time hunter on the Back 40 property we have in the state of Michigan. As Mark Kenyon would say, the Back 40 is stingy with its deer. Going out with someone who has never hunted before is great, even when you aren't seeing deer, if you're doing it right. There's so much learning to be done that you really need some time in the woods before deer actually get involved. Time in the woods is always a win, in my opinion. You can see all this first-time perspective as well as where we ended up on the back 40 for the entirety of the season. Check it out on episode 8, only found on our Meat Eater YouTube channel. I just watched episodes 6 and 7. It's really good stuff. I even got to use a brand new steel Farm Boss model chainsaw and help Mark buck up a bunch of uh, firewood for his house. Thing rips, just like all my awesome steel power equipment. Get a chance, get a hankering to do some work on your own, check out steel.com, S-T-I-H-L.com, and check out their amazing line of power tools. They cut clean, quick, and easy, help you out whether you consider yourself a farm boss or not. I don't, but I still used it, and it worked great. Looking at the Back 40 property and placing it in the context of what I know, which is Montana or Idaho whitetail, uh, it would be the most overrun whitetail spot you could imagine. There wasn't much feed in late December, but the property has an overwhelming whitetail feel to it for this Montana kid. A swamp runs through the middle, lots of tall cover and fallow fields, a good mix of young and old hardwoods, even some brush. Despite this, very few deer, which was perplexing until I looked at the back 40 in the context of a whitetail state. Every property around our project piece has been managing for whitetail for a while, and it appeared post-rut those neighbor deer didn't have much need to move on to our chunk, which of course starts you to think, what do we need? We have cover and water, so maybe we need a ton of food sources. But the neighbors have that, and it's already been established, so maybe we need higher quality food sources and better stuff and more of it. And my mind kind of kept going on from there until I thought of what Eisenhower said. Beware the military-industrial complex. In this case, the whitetail industrial complex. Where each property is its own nation, creating, buying, stacking up arms in the form of specialty feeds and food plots, altering their landscapes in a way that could funnel deer or channel deer or deter deer from doing whatever they don't want them to do or hide deer, attractants, supplements, and above all, serious whitetail business. Leading me to ask, where does it all end? Although the back 40 was, again, stingy with its deer, a few of the neighbors we ran into were not stingy with their deer. They offered to let us all come out and shoot white-tailed does, which was very generous. But again, got me to thinking. Likely as not, since Mark is a trusted guy, we got the invite. We had an in, so to speak. It was for white-tailed does, which are more plentiful than bucks. 
These folks typically don't divert a ton of time, energy, and money into these properties without having bucks on their mind and big ones. The natural flow of generosity would likely be that the owner and the owner's immediate family would probably have the dibs on the bucks on the property. Then maybe some close friends and possibly once in a while a special case, which I totally get. That's how it goes. Again, I've seen the work that gets put into these properties firsthand and people naturally want to reap what they sow. But what if eventually these properties build and build and the price of things go up? One could foresee that eventually only the inner circle would be able to hunt, kill, and harvest antlered animals. Not a big deal at all if you are truly just interested in meat. And again, you have the access to get that meat. This theoretical situation I just spun up, a kind of whitetail vending machine of sorts, would be a transactional hunting experience. Show up, get your deer, which to be clear, I have done on the uncle's alfalfa field many times after fruitless or frustrating seasons. Show up, get a dough or two, get in the groceries, so to speak, and I'm on my way. The benefit to hunting both antlers and meat is it forces a hunter to be more selective. By being selective, you could call yourself a trophy hunter if you want, waiting and passing animals up until that animal meets whatever criteria you've come up with and you intersect with that animal. You ultimately will not be as successful. Being selective is for those with the luxury of time. In order to be successful, you have to spend more time in the woods, which is a phenomenally awesome benefit to being, quote, unsuccessful. Anyway, that type of thinking sure makes me appreciate and value the public land opportunities we have and the failures and successes that can be found on them. I am not aiming to offend anyone currently managing for deer on their properties. This is just an honest bit of pondering I was doing on our chunk of private property there in Michigan. Thinking, where does this all go? What's the end game? For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door, visit MauiNuiVenison.com That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to our baiting desk with an update. I've been talking about Michigan, so of course I need to talk about baiting in Michigan. As some Week in Review listeners love the topic, uh, here we go. I asked a couple of native Michiganders as to their thoughts on the baiting ban. Before we get into their quotes, I'll lay the situation out in very simple terms. People who are pro-baiting or not averse to baiting seem to fall on the argument that deer have so much natural contact with each other that laying out a bait pile will not spread disease any more than deer interaction without bait. People who do not like baiting point to the fact that the USDA, USGS, and a bunch of other state agencies state that baiting helps spread diseases like bovine TB, CWD, and brucellosis. Each state management agency has their own position on where, when, and if you can feed wildlife. Meat Eater's resident whitetail addict, Mark Kenyon, has this to say, quote, I have nothing against legal baiting, but I'll always err on the side of caution and science when it comes to disease concerns. Yes, deer come into contact with each other all the time, presenting ample opportunity for the spread of disease like CWD but studies have shown that baiting can speed disease transmission even further. If the regulation or banning of baiting can help negate that to any degree, it seems worthwhile in my eyes. The way I see it, the long-term health and viability of the resource is ultimately more important than any hunting tool, tactic, or tradition. Stephen Ranella has this to say, At the time of me writing this, I don't have any particular gripe with deer baiting. What would change my mind is research demonstrating that baiting does in fact initiate contact between deer that would otherwise not intermingle either directly or through immediate chains of association. Not through sharing bedding areas, or playing grab ass during the rut, or hanging around scrapes, or coming and going from cornfields down the same trail, or yarding up in cedar swamps during the winter, or hanging around the farmer's haystacks in the deep snow. That seems like it'd be an easy study to design. Who knows, maybe it's being done right now. But I'll bring up a different thing about baiting that doesn't get talked about much. When I was a kid growing up in Michigan, our reliance on deer bait during archery season prevented us from becoming good bow hunters. Instead of learning the beautiful intricacies of natural deer patterns and movements, we just learned that they'll come and eat carrots if you dump them into the woods. In the end, I think we would have killed more deer and bigger deer if we hadn't been so damn lazy and unimaginative. At the time, I wouldn't have liked the state telling me not to use bait, but I would have appreciated hearing about it from someone with a little common sense. Now, 
as many listeners keyed into, my position certainly leads towards the do not bait in areas with disease or suspected disease side of things. But I don't have a dog in this fight. When I just hunted in Michigan, I didn't use bait. I likely will not go use bait anywhere else. It's just not my style, but I'm not condemning you if you do. I just think, you know, you should think about the whole picture. I rely on the people we call experts, and disease transmission work is, in fact, thoroughly researched. From what I have read, primarily from the Bacterial Diseases of Livestock Research Unit, National Animal Disease Center, Agricultural Research Service, USDA. Additionally, the Alabama Wildlife Federation has a great paper where they have compiled an incredible amount of peer-reviewed work from biologists, zoologists, epizoologists, all the folks that went to school much longer than I did, complete with all of their sources on the subject. It is beyond doubt that deer can and do transmit disease in shared feed situations, whether that is in a captive facility, a feedlot, a backyard feeder with no hunting in mind, or a bait pile intended to attract deer for the purposes of hunting. However, I have not found a study that says baiting initiates contact between deer that would have not otherwise intermingled. I think that one would be tough to prove in a natural setting, but again, I'm just trying to let you know where I'm getting my information. Now for the update, currently in the state of Michigan, and this is from the DNR website, DNR offices around the state continue to field questions from people confused about the status of the baiting and feeding ban for deer and elk in the Lower Peninsula and the core CWD surveillance area in the Upper Peninsula. The DNR wants to let all hunters know that the ban has not changed and remains fully in effect. Now, a much modified baiting bill aimed at lifting the ban has been approved by the Senate and the House and it's currently sitting on the governor's desk. The governor has promised to veto the legislation should it come to her desk. It's on her desk now, which means for all of you who want to bait or don't want to bait, you have to make the governor's phone ring and let her staff know your thoughts. If you have to borrow a phone, make sure you wash your hands frequently and cover your mouths before you cough. It is Christmas and you'll be mixing it up with a lot of people in social feeding situations. (laughs) Moving. With an update on the tricky issue of Campbell Lake and Anchorage. As previously discussed here on the Week in Review, episode 23, Evil HOAs, Steelhead Closures, and Bear Spray, the question was, is Campbell Lake public and can it be accessed by the public? Short answer, yes, which is cause for applause. The real and more complicated answer is, and this is a quote directly from the Alaska landmine that first covered this story, Although the state and the municipality of Anchorage have now confirmed the legality of public access and use of Campbell Lake, existing access is clearly deficient for routine public use. The easement on the south side of the lake remains undeveloped and encumbered by a private float plane dock, while the easement on the north side of the lake appears to be blocked by a house. According to the joint statement, if you are interested, you can access Campbell Lake by boating or skiing into it via Campbell Creek, landing in an aircraft, accessing the lake via an easement on the south side of the lake, or accessing the lake via an easement on the north side of the lake. The document states that the Department of Natural Resources, which manages section line easements, has never authorized private obstructions of these easements. That's the latest on Campbell Lake. I'll get you up to date as soon as I hear more. I'm sure we will. 
Again, you can see the entirety of this story by looking up thealaskalandmine.com, well-writ journalism, and the home to explosive Alaska news. The reason I feel it is so necessary to cover easement issues is because so much of our easy access to public resources, like Campbell Lake for an example, U.S. Forest Service ground, BLM, rivers and streams in the U.S. is through established easements. We need to pay attention to these issues when they arise, wherever they arise. It could happen in your backyard next, or I guess in the case of Campbell Lake, through your backyard if you've chosen to ignore an easement. Moving on to our anthropology desk. This one will make you think about all that gum stuck on the bottom of park benches and college desks. A 5,700-year-old piece of chewed birch tar has been analyzed, revealing a bunch of cool stuff about the chewer. The so-called gum, which was found in the construction site of the Fairmont Belt Fixed Link Tunnel, which will connect the Danish island of Lolland with the German island of Fairmont. The birch gum perfectly preserved the chewer's DNA, revealing that she was a she, with, quote, a striking combination of dark hair, dark skin, and blue eyes. Researchers have named her Lola. Lola likely came from hunter-gatherers from continental Europe, and she likely could not process milk. This combination apparently has been documented before with other European hunter-gatherers, including a 10,000-year-old British skeleton called Cheddar Man. When one group refers to their specimen as both striking and names her Lola, and the other as Cheddar Man, that may say more about the researchers than their specimens, or specwoman in the case we're talking about right now. Again, through the analysis of the birch gum, Lola had been eating duck and hazelnuts, which sounds like a pretty good diet to me. However, if you are a gum chewer, when perhaps you should be brushing instead, it may dismay you to hear that the Danish team identified bacteria similar to plaque in gingivalis. Additionally, they found Streptococcus pneumoniae and Epstein-Barr virus, which brings the week in review back to herpes. Epstein-Barr is one of the most common forms of herpes and is often associated with mono and a host of other things that do not sound like any fun. Anyway, birch sap was used as an adhesive of sorts or a bonding agent for the building and fixing of all sorts of things. And this practice of chewing sap has been documented all over the world. It didn't just start with Beeman's chewing gum. Meaning, all over the world, we could potentially have these little chewed-up time capsules that give us this very clear window into individual peoples. This could lead to a bunch of cool things, but of course it will also bring up a bunch of questions. The question you may be asking yourself right now, and maybe you should, is what will people find out about you if you're leaving your gum around? So, chew on that. This episode, which is episode 34 of Cal's Week in Review, is coming out just before the Christmas week, which is too late for all the current call to actions we need from all of you as Christmas gifts before this even comes out. I'm going to hit those really hard on other formats, so pay attention, as this won't be an irregular thing down the road. What you need to do when you do hear this is go out and enjoy our public lands and wildlife, breathe that clean air, and be thankful we have it. Additionally, I have a great surprise for all of you in high school and college classes that deal with history, ecology, civics. I have many teachers, professors, and professoras that have written in saying that they are giving various forms of extra credit to those of you listening to Cal's Week in Review on your own time. I'm not going to name these people individually. Suffice it to say, they're all over the country, so you may want to bring this up. Don't take this stuff for granted. 
fact check me and let me know what I messed up, what's going on in your neck of the woods, what I got right, what I got wrong. Just interesting stuff. I appreciate it. And what's more is I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. On behalf of everyone here at Meat Eater, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate, whether it's just time off or time with family, get those family members outside, appreciate nature, and maybe share Cal's Week in Review. Tell them to give it a listen and a download. And if you are appreciating me, leave me a review. Hit that furthest right-hand star and write in at A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.